on October the 14th, 1492, Columbus discovered America. December the 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor was attacked, and that ushered the United States into World War II. July the 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. March the 29th, 19... <coughs> My wife was born. There are some dates that are more significant than others. There are some events that change our history. And today we have come to celebrate the most historic event in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, please, and look with me at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for, trem for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I think with any significant event, it is fair to ask the question, is there any confirming evidence? Is there any confirmation that Neil Armstrong actually walked on the moon? Is there any evidence that Columbus actually discovered America? Is there evidence that Jesus rose from the grave? There are two claims made in verse number 6. He said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. They said, first of all, that he has been Crucified. The last week of Jesus' earthly life was a strange week when he entered into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. The streets were lined with people worshiping him, crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And the Bible says that they placed palm branches in front of him as they recognized him. His closest followers believed that at that time he was going to establish his kingdom. But as the week wore on, things changed and the reception became rejection. Judas, one of his disciples, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. The chief priest incited the crowd to turn against Jesus, and the crowd that had welcomed him earlier in the week joined in the course, crucify him, crucify him. And even those who had benefited from his ministry said nothing on his behalf. 
The Bible says they took him to Calvary and they crucified him. There's little doubt about that. But then it is the latter part of verse 6 that causes us pause. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. We have no difficulty believing in the crucifixion of Christ. After all, that was the common way for the Roman Empire to punish criminals, and so it was not unusual. We have no difficulty there. But what about that part? He is not here. He has risen. Is there any evidence? Is there any confirmation? Acts chapter 1 verse number 3 says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. The Amplified Bible translates that by a series of many convincing demonstrations and unquestionable evidence and infallible proofs. Well, what is that unquestionable evidence? What is the proof of his resurrection? Well, let me make some suggestions to you. First of all, there is the empty tomb. How does one explain the empty tomb? Well, there have been those who said the body was stolen. My question, of course, would be, who stole the body? When John looked into the empty tomb, he, he records that the grave clothes were laying there. Now, had someone stolen the body of Jesus, surely they would not have unwrapped him and then taken his body out, leaving the grave clothes behind. There are those who say that he swooned. He actually was not dead. And so when he was placed in the tomb, the coolness of the tomb revived him, and so he got out on his own. But again, when John looked into the empty tomb, he said the grave clothes were laying down flat. Now, had Jesus swooned and revived and unwrapped himself, then the grave clothes in all likelihood would have been in a pile. They would have been thrown around the tomb. But they were not. They were flat. I would say to you the best explanation of the empty tomb is that God performed a miracle. That God raised him from the dead. Other evidence? How do you explain the change that took place in the disciples? truth is the disciples were somewhat cowardly. When Jesus was arrested, they fled for their lives. When Jesus went to the cross, there was only one disciple that accompanied him all the way to the cross, and that was John. How do you explain then? These men who were fearful for the protection of their own lives, all of a sudden they become courageous. All of a sudden, these same men are going forth with the message that he is alive and they are willing to give to risk their own lives because of that message. How does one explain the change in the disciples apart from the resurrection? John Stott wrote, Perhaps the transformation of the disciples is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. When Jesus died... They were heartbroken, confused, and frightened. But within less than two months, they came out of hiding, full of joy, confidence, and courage. What can account for this dramatic transformation? Only the resurrection. 
More evidence? What about the eyewitnesses? The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep or have died. So Paul then says, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared to 500 at one time. He said most of them are still alive. If you want to speak with them, most of them are still alive. More than 500 eyewitnesses who saw him at one time. The Lord's Day. The Jewish believers changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday to commemorate the resurrection of the Lord. And the reason we are here today is because it is away on Sunday, the first day of the week, that we celebrate the resurrected Lord. Testimonies. Throughout the ages, Christians have testified about the risen Lord, personal experiences. I would imagine we could stay here all day with many of you standing and telling how the risen Christ has ministered to your life. His presence with you. I've been praying. I was praying yesterday and I about this service and asking the Lord to manifest His presence. You know, we come on Easter. Sometimes our minds are in other places, but the reason that we are here is to, is to meet with God. And there are some of you who could stand today and tell us about experiences in your own life when God was more real to you than the person next to you. During times of prayer, when the Lord was so real you could almost feel His touch. When we sing and you feel His presence. There are some of you today who could say, oh, is he alive? Yes, I've experienced his presence. You could tell about his provision in your life, how the, how the Lord has provided for you at times of need in your life, and how the risen Lord provided your every need. You could tell about his power demonstrated in your life, how God's power was made available to you, and you, fi- you found a strength that you did not expect because of the risen Lord. The evidence of the resurrection, I believe, is overwhelming if one is willing to receive it. But here's the problem. If Jesus did indeed conquer death and is alive, that means it affects our lives and our lives have to change. Lee Strobel was an atheist, and he began to do a study to refute the claims concerning Christ. In the process, he became a believer. He wrote the book, The Case for Christ, and he wrote, I have read just enough philosophy and history to find support for my skepticism, a fact here, a scientific theory there, a pithy quote, a clever argument. Sure, I could see gaps and inconsistencies, but I had a strong motivation to ignore them a self-serving and immoral lifestyle that I would be compelled to abandon if I were to change my views and become a follower of Christ. Folks, the truth is one of the reasons some of us struggle with the resurrection of Christ is because if we admit to it, then it calls for a change of life within us. And some of us don't want 
that change. Well, what does the resurrection mean? I believe there is evidence. So what does it mean to us? It means a new life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Isn't it sad that there are so many people who believe that if I give my life to Christ that my life is over? I mean, the next thing to look forward to is the graveyard. No, Jesus came to give you life. And he gives us a life with purpose. Do you realize that if Jesus Christ is alive, that he gives us a life that has purpose, that I am not the result of a cosmic accident that took place, but that God created me and gave purpose for my life? Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. My dear friend, if Jesus Christ is alive and you receive him as the living Lord of your life, then you have purpose and that purpose is to glorify him. To glorify him with the life he's given to you. If he is alive, it means that we live a life of passion. I ask the Lord, I hope that if I lose passion for life, the Lord takes me on home. I mean, I don't want to go through life just sort of meandering through, can't wait till it's over. But if you know the resurrected Lord, then you have a life of passion. Things are important to you. Life is important to you. He is important to you. Other people is important to you. The resurrected Christ means that we have a life of possibility. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Dear friend, do you realize that if Jesus Christ conquered death, that if He is alive, that there is possibility for life? A little boy in school was asked, uh, all the class was asked, "What what do you want to be when you grow up? And the little boy said, I want to be possible. The teacher said, what do you mean you want to be possible? He said, well, Daddy says I'm impossible. I want to be possible. (laughs) Well, that's what Christ does for us. He makes things possible for us. This new life that He gives us calls us to a life of purity. My dear friend, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you might not always live in purity, but you want to live in purity, and that's what He calls us to. In Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. A life of purity. I don't know how it affects you, but all of the sleaze that we've been watching on television, on the news and so forth, and lives that are wrecked and broken apart. Sometimes don't you just long for purity? I mean, like a, like a fresh glass of water that's just pure. Don't you want that in your life? See, that's what the Lord gives. He washes away. He, he rids us of all the stuff in life and calls us to a life of purity. It's a life of power, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It is the promise of permanence because He is resurrected, a promise for eternity. Dwight L. Moody said, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the Spirit in 
1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the Spirit will live forever. That's what the resurrection means. A new life, forgiveness of sin because he conquered sin. The one thing that we all want is forgiveness. We all have things in our life we'd like to be forgiven for, and that's what Jesus offers to us. You heard the story about the friends who brought their friend to Jesus and let him down through the roof. He was paralyzed. And Jesus said, my friend, your sins are forgiven. We celebrated the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, and it also reminds us of his forgiveness in Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Folks, that's what the resurrection is about. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus took our sins upon himself that he might pay the price and give to us the gift of forgiveness. What does it mean? A new life, forgiveness, and hope. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We desperately want hope. In fact, I, I really believe that sometimes the reason we are so naive and believe things we probably ought not believe and listen to people we ought not listen to is because we so desperately want hope. And that's what Jesus gives to us. I, I, I have great hope. Regardless as to the stock market, I have hope. Regardless as to who is elected president, I have hope in Jesus. As a USC fan, regardless as to what last season was, we have hope for next year. We have hope. And we desire hope, but Jesus gives us real hope. But not only do we have hope in this life, but we have hope in eternity. Do you know when I die? Do you know when I die that I'm going to go to heaven? He said, well, you're not that good. No, I'm not. But that's the reason Jesus died, and I've accepted him, and I have his grace. And so I'm going to go to heaven when I die someday. The Bible tells me that it's a place of beauty. Can you imagine heaven? And the Scripture says that it is a place where the streets are gold and the gates are pearl. I had a person ask me one time, said, do you, do you really believe that the streets are gold? I mean, is it God, God? Do you know how much gold is an ounce now? Is this still over $1,000 an ounce? And the streets are gold? And God said that whenever I get to heaven, the streets are going to be gold. And apparently he didn't know how high gold was going to get. But I, I think that what the Lord is saying in part about that is that the, the things that are so precious to us down here that we give our lives for down here are so common up there, just make streets out of them. Streets are gold, the gates are pearl. The Bible says that it is a beautiful place that the Lord has prepared for us. The Bible says that it is a place of sinlessness because the, the curse of, of sin is removed. The Scripture says that it is a place of service. His servants shall serve Him. My dear friend, the resurrection gives us hope. We have hope today because Jesus Christ lives. 
Well, how do we respond to the, this incredible claim? And there were three prevalent emotions described throughout the New Testament concerning the resurrection. One was wonder. Something had happened that they did not understand. There are three different Greek words used to describe this wonder concerning the disciples. One of them is fear in verse number 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said to everyone, uh, nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The, the Greek word that is used there means that they were so frightened they wanted to run away. Now, to suggest that these men who were so frightened they wanted to run away would come and steal the body is absurd to me, but that's what the word means, fear. The idea of the resurrection was fearful to them. They were so scared they wanted to run. In verse number 8, the word astonishment is used, and it means a holy frenzy of enthusiasm. So here you have these disciples, and they are so excited, and yet they're scared. They're excited about what might have happened, but they want to run away. And then the word amazed in verse number 5, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. The prospect of his resurrection amazed them. Let me ask you a question. We've come today on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Do you have that kind of wonder concerning the resurrection? I am fearful that our familiarity of the story has robbed us of this wonder. And so we come to the resurrection. And rather than take off our shoes because we stand on holy ground, we pull out our cameras and take pictures because it's become so common to us. And we've lost the wonder of it. Ladies and gentlemen, somehow we need to reclaim the wonder, to recapture the the wonder of those women who came to the tomb on that first Easter morning to find that he was not there. We need to recapture the astonishment of Peter who came to the tomb on that first Easter morning and peeked inside and saw the grave clothes folded and lying there. We need to reclaim the holy hush that fell upon Thomas when Jesus stretched forth his hands and said, Thomas, take your fingers and put in the nail prints and take your hand and thrust it into my side. Lord, give us that wonder again. That one who died is alive, victorious over death. The wonder of the resurrection. There was joy. The women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. The disciples, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Folks, there should be such joy that fills our heart. That Jesus died on the cross, was placed in the tomb, and rose from the grave victorious over death. Our hearts ought to be filled with joy. Because he conquered sin and he defeated death. Then the message of Easter is a message of hope. You're familiar with the story, I'm sure. It's one of my very favorite. It's a story that was told by Tony Campalo. He told about an African-American preacher who preached on Easter Sunday about the resurrection and he built his entire sermon 
around the theme, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And in that sermon, he said, it's Friday, and Mary's soul is burdened. Her face is stained by the tears. Her heart is in anguish. Her son is gone. But that's all right, because it's Friday and Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate and the Pharisees are strutting around like they own the world. But that's all right, because it's Friday and Sunday's coming. It's Friday and Satan is smiling. Darkness has won the victory. Satan is the conqueror. But that's all right. It's Friday and Sunday's coming. My friend, there are some of you today, and the truth is, though you're dressed up for Easter, today feels like Friday to you. There are some... And sickness has torn at your body, and the prognosis is not good. And it feels like Friday. But may I say Sunday's coming. There's some of you, and your marriage is being held together by thread. And you don't know what to do. And it feels like Friday to you. But Sunday's coming. There are some of you who have bills that you can't pay. And it feels like Friday to you. But Sunday's coming. There are some of you whose lives have been marked and marred by sin. And this is the first time you've been in church in a long time. And you were hesitant to come because you didn't know if you would feel comfortable or somebody would point you out. And it feels like Friday to you. But Sunday's coming. Let me say to you, that's what Easter is all about. We live in a world of Fridays, but praise God, because of Jesus, Sunday is coming. He will turn your Friday into Sunday if you give your life to Him. He will give you the forgiveness that you desire, the hope that you desperately seek, and the promise of heaven if you're willing to give your life to Him. Our gracious Father in God, I thank You for the sacrifice that You made on Calvary. Lord, I thank you for the provision that no matter what our sin, that you were sufficient. Lord, I thank you for these who have come today, some really not wanting to, but it's Easter and they came anyway. And Lord, they're desperately looking for forgiveness, desperately looking for hope. And I pray, Father, that today they might find it in the Lord Jesus. Lord, bless this invitation time. Draw people unto yourself. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. The choir will sing, listen, there will never be a better time for you to commit your life to Jesus than today. On Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday, there will never be a better time for you who are looking for church family to come and, and unite with us here. We'd love to have you. Easter Sunday. Will you do it today? Will you do it?
I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we stand together. The choir sings as they sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.